is safe. It is an illusion. A comforting lie told to protect you. Enjoy these final moments of peace. For I have returned to have my vengeance. Hey, well, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Uh, that is, of course, the new Star Trek Into Darkness teaser trailer that premiered a few days ago online. I guess it was on Thursday this past week, uh, and uh, looks pretty cool, huh? Uh, this is Rico, of course. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, podcast number 414 for December the 9th, 2012. Yes, we're only about, uh, I guess, six months away from the movie, May 17th, right? May 17th, 2013. That's, of course, assuming the Mayans were all wrong and we're, the world won't end on December 21st. But I'm figuring we're pretty safe. Anyway, there, the, we'll be talking a little bit about that trailer. I'll give you some of my impressions and thoughts about it and some of the other things that have been talked about in the world of Trek in this past few uh you know, a couple of weeks since I've done a podcast, Jedi Jeff was here last week and did that awesome show on collectibles. A really cool show. Loved how you put it all together, Jeff. Uh, again, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for doing that, and thanks for doing it on such short notice. So I really appreciate it. And I know I've gotten a lot of good uh, feedback on that one, and uh, like I do on all the shows that you guys guest host. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, but the main topic, besides talking about the Trek movie and, and a few other things, will be a TOS episode. Uh, appropriately, I think, talking about a TOS episode this week. It is going to be uh, the actual, it's the last episode of Season 1 uh, from TOS. It's called Operation Annihilate, and it is uh, It's a pretty cool episode. Uh, it's another one that I'll say I thought I covered it, but I guess I haven't covered this one yet. It is... Um, features uh some pretty strong performances a, a solid script and uh it is uh it's the one basically uh which involves kirk's brother and deneva and those little uh i think they always thought they look like pancakes or fried eggs those little creatures that uh that are on that planet uh, that are messing people up so uh, we'll be talking about that got some clips to play and of course other news and things going on in the world of geekdom this week on treks and sci-fi All right, everyone. How's everybody doing? Uh, this is Rico, and you're listening to, of course, Treks and Sci-Fi, your weekly dose of geeky goodness and other other topics, whatever I feel like talking. <laughs> is everybody getting ready for the holidays? I am so not ready. It's uh, it's unbelievable. I, I This year, uh, it is really getting uh, closer to Christmas, and I am getting even less ready. 
hopefully uh, a little online shopping later today will help that situation. I did uh, put some lights on our Christmas tree yesterday, so that was a good thing, and put a few more lights up outside. So it's looking sort of festive around here. But uh, uh, speaking of that, we have uh, a Secret Santa going on on the forum these days for those of us participating, and uh, each most, uh, I guess, well, I each or most uh, a few uh, times we've done this and uh, i usually try to put the uh, thread up in the sign up thing uh, weeks ahead and everyone hopefully by about now or so should have uh, sent out their gifts at least uh, i actually was uh, one of the later ones and only did it recently so uh, for anyone listening who hasn't received a, a gift or is on the secret santa thing you're probably waiting for mine. Hopefully, it'll get there in the next day or two, I think. But um, but anyway, uh, what I want everyone to do uh, as a reminder is make sure you do a little video, either opening it or after you open it, uh, thanking your Secret Santa gifter, and uh, send those in. Make them, you know, a couple minutes long, something like that, and get those to me uh, via FTP or whatever. And then we're going to do, a, in a couple of weeks, just before Christmas, I'm going to put together those in a vidcast, uh, kind of like we've done before. Uh, with everyone uh, taking a look at their secret Santa. And I think there was, I don't know, about eight or eight or so of us this year that did it. Something like that, I think. But uh, okay, so there's my little reminder call out there. And uh, I don't think there's any other little tidbits like that to mention right now. Let's just get right into talking about this Star Trek Into Darkness trailer without any uh, real prelude except for that uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, or as we're calling him on the forum, we're messing with his name. He's Gary Cumbercon, or or something like that, because the well, let's break it down. And I, none of this is spoilers. This is just assumptions, guesses, thoughts. Uh, there's nothing uh, that I'm going to talk about that I've you know. It's not like somebody has emailed me the script to the movie secretly. Hey, send Rico a copy so he'll he'll be able to read it ahead of time. I wouldn't even want that. If somebody could do that, I wouldn't even want it. I I, I want to see it. Uh, well, I'm going to go see The Hobbit uh, this Friday, coming Friday, to see that nine-minute preview uh, bit. And then, of course, there's another trailer coming out this Friday as well. So I will get that information, and, and we'll know a lot more at that point. But I, don't, I wouldn't want the whole script sent to me and read it ahead of time. That, that wouldn't be very much fun. Some people don't mind being spoiled. I, I don't really want to be that spoiled. Uh, but uh, let's talk about the uh, – so we got this Star Trek Into Darkness teaser that J.J. Abrams put out. He's done teasers before. Well, he did the one for the first film that he did, the first Trek film, I should say, which wasn't much one uh, of a real uh, – didn't give much away at all. That was when they were just building the Enterprise kind of a thing. Uh, and then uh, later on we got a real regular trailer for that. Uh, this time they're doing things a little bit differently, and we're going to get everything kind of real close together. But uh, a few things about this and my thoughts about this uh, teaser that we got. It showed quite a bit, I thought. It showed probably more than I expected at first because of what J.J. did the last time. I thought we wouldn't maybe get as much little snippets and clips of scenes and things like that. Of course, they are going to put a lot more out in about a week, so maybe that was why. I'm not sure if they changed the timing on this at all or not uh, either, if they were planning on trying to put this teaser out way more in advance of this other footage that's coming. But the two things or the two main villains that are being tossed around online and in discussions for who Benedict Cumberbatch could be playing would be Gary Mitchell from the original series and, and Khan. Uh, both of them have their pluses and minuses related to other little tidbits and news and, and talk that have been going on over the many months uh, during the production and post-production. Uh, you know, they've, uh, one thing that I'll say on the Gary Mitchell front, a couple things. First, they've been doing a line, IDW is doing a line of Star Trek comics. Uh, the, one of the guys, the writers, I think it's Bob Orsi, uh, is, is actually, he's a creative consultant. I'm looking at uh, issue two of this IDW series that came out several months ago. Uh, Robert Orsi, uh, sorry, not Robert, uh, Roberto, excuse me, Roberto Orsi, he is a creative consultant. And it's been mentioned, uh, he has mentioned that these new comics by IDW, they're considering these canon, okay? All right, now, uh, in issue two of this comic, it involves Gary Mitchell. It involves Gary Mitchell's story, and uh, not only that, but he is, uh, he is, assumed and looks to be phaser blasted and killed by Kirk. This is very much like the Gary Mitchell story, I should say. He gets superpowers and 
uh, from the barrier on the edge of the, the galaxy and all that. And uh, Kirk fights with him, and he, he's blasted in the chest with a phaser rifle, and he looks, appears to be assumed dead. So they stick him into one of those handy-dandy photon torpedo tubes, uh, which seem to double as coffins, and shoot him out into space. And basically that is how that issue ends. Uh, so it would work for this movie if he comes back, if he is not dead, if he comes back to seek vengeance on Kirk and, and everyone. Uh, that would really make sense quite a bit. They could do some kind of little prelude which shows this perhaps uh, from the comic point of view or maybe show something in the past with Mitchell and, and, and Kirk. Uh, and then, you know, the movie would basically him getting his revenge or his vengeance as you hear in the trailer. That's possible. Uh, also, the other thing on that front is, uh, what's her name? The blonde girl, Alice Eve, who was in the movie. I put something up on our Facebook, the Trex and Sci-Fi Facebook page, uh, about, I think I put this about a week ago, where her hairstyle looks very much like Elizabeth Daner's from Where No Man Has Gone Before from that episode of TOS. It really looks like it. She's got this short kind of little blonde bob kind of a haircut. I don't know what you call it. I, I'm not a, a, you know... A fashion haircut guy <laughs> is anyone I don't know some people I guess are whoever do that but but anyway her hairstyle looks very much like Daner's and so there's a lot of evidence in my opinion pushing towards the Gary Mitchell uh front but and a big but uh, a couple other things it could still be con even though I think Simon Pegg at one point tweeted or went on record saying it's not con well it may not be con but it could be a genetically engineered you know, super being or something, superhuman type of character, uh, uh, an augment or whatever you want to call it. They just may give him a different name. Maybe they'll name him Gary Mitchell, but he will be genetically enhanced by Earth science or whatever. Uh, so that would be interesting. They would sort of mess with both of those and kind of mix them together. But the fact that Roberto Orsi has said these comics are canon makes me not really think it's going to be a blend like that. It's, uh, I don't know. Um, a couple other things that I've noticed in the trailer, I mean, besides being it's it's really cool and I've watched it about a dozen times now, uh, it, there are times where he's fighting and this, this, you know, footage came out where he's fighting Spock, you know, much more like hand to hand to me than than I I don't know Gary Mitchell doesn't seem like he would be someone that would be doing that as much his powers would would be stronger but maybe they weakened him down a bit I don't know maybe those are times where they catch him off guard uh, but he does things that appear to be superhuman strength wise fighting a Vulcan and and so forth uh, there are also other signs and little tidbits in the trailer this teaser that make it look like Khan. There, there's, in the Japanese version that got released of the trailer, there's this little hand moment of two hands touching that looks very much like at the end of The Wrath of Khan. Uh, he also uses the word vengeance in the trailer very distinctly. He's, he's, he's not out for revenge, he's out for vengeance. In uh, Some people may know, some people may not know, but originally Wrath of Khan wasn't going to be called The Wrath of Khan. It was going to be called The Vengeance of Khan. But George Lucas and company in Star Wars, uh, that was getting close to the time of uh, Revenge of the Jedi, which uh, Return of the Jedi was originally called. Are you still with me? So they didn't really want the word vengeance used because it was too much like revenge. Uh, so the Wrath of Khan was, or Vengeance of Khan was changed to Wrath of Khan. And actually, eventually, Revenge of the Jedi was changed to Return of the Jedi. So there's a little trick in Star Wars history for you. But the word vengeance makes me really think more like Khan, perhaps. Uh, and what I'm also thinking is this nine minute of footage, nine minutes of footage that we're going to get on Friday, starting on Friday with The Hobbit and IMAX only, is going to be the first part of the movie, but it's going to be sort of a prelude to the rest of the movie. In other words, something's going to happen, and then it's going to sort of move ahead in time. I think this movie's going to have to show, well, what's this guy need vengeance for? What's he so bothered and upset about? What's going on? I think there's going to have to be a time lag, like something will happen to set things up, and then it will be like one year later. You know, we'll get that kind of a thing, or two years later in the movie, or something like that will happen. And that will separate this nine minutes they're going to show us versus the rest of the film. 
I think that was already going to be in play in the movie anyway. And then they said, hey, this would be a good cutoff point. We'll show people this first little teaser bit of the movie, the first few nine minutes, and then that will set up the rest of the movie in a way. Uh, so that that's a thought. I mean, again, all of this is just my thoughts, speculation, you know, putting together some things that I know about Trek and, and trying to guess at this. Now, it could be somebody completely different. It might not be Gary Mitchell. It might not be a Khan-type character. It could be somebody else. They, they have said, I think it's gone on record, that it is going to be a TOS character that we know, like by name. So uh, I've heard Garth of Izar. I don't really believe that one. I don't think, you know, I've heard different things. A Charlie X character, Trelane. I, you know, all those names have been thrown around. Uh, so... So we'll have to see. I think by the next weekend and by the next time I do a podcast, we should know for sure kind of what the story is about and who these characters are playing. And, of course, remember months back, uh, uh, what's his name? Carl Urban, who plays McCoy in the movie, let the actual he, – he let appear to be let something slip about to Benedict Cumberbatch playing Gary Mitchell. He used the word Gary Mitchell and said something like, oh, he does a great job. He does a great Gary Mitchell performance in the movie. Whether that was just him messing around or he was uh, the, the what I had read about that at the time, he was very tired after a very long air air flight and he may have just let something slip and shouldn't have. And they tried to bluff it over, but uh, I don't think they ever outright denied it. I don't think I read anywhere where they outright denied that it was Mitchell. I'm kind of pulling for Mitchell. I think it would be an interesting story. I always like that story from TOS. And if they, you know, I'm sure that even if they do something like taking a TOS style story, I'm sure there's going to be enough differences and changes in it that it's going to feel fresh to us fans of the original series and who know that real well. So, uh, and I think I've spent way plenty of time talking about the trailer. I'm just really excited for it. It looks amazing. There's there's starships crashing into the, you know, into the San Francisco Bay and and just kind of cool stuff going on without really revealing too much. I. I really think this is going to be a great movie. I'm excited, and I think it's going to be even more amazing and more cool than the first one that J.J. did. Because so, they don't really have to set a lot up in this as far as the characters that we know, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and all that. They can just get right into it. So that is it for that. I'm going to take a short break, get some tea. I need something to wet my whistle, and then I will come back with a couple other little things, and then we'll get into talking about Operation Annihilate. That was the scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. Theirs was a slave ship carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. And in the last five years, the newcomers have become the latest addition to the population of Los Angeles. Alienation, the Newcomers Podcast, is a fan cast devoted to the groundbreaking but short-lived TV series Alienation. This series tackles social issues like racism, bigotry, and intolerance with an alien twist. Each month, we will bring you a podcast dedicated to a single episode. The host will give you their thoughts on the episode, as well as some little-known behind-the-scenes information. So please subscribe to Alienation, the Newcomers Podcast on iTunes, or visit our website at alienationpodcast.com. All right, that's better. I got my Arizona tea. I'm all good to go. So let's talk a little bit about TV, some things that I'm really enjoying lately. Uh, first, The Walking Dead. Uh, not a sci-fi show, I guess, exactly, but definitely kind of in the fantasy realm. This show is just amazingly intense, fantastic, so well done, so well acted. It's, it's one of the rare shows that actually kind of gets to me and creeps me out to a degree. I, I have a pretty, I think, high tolerance for that after watching years of sci-fi and fantasy and things. But it's one of the shows that have actually had sort of a dream <laughs> or two about it uh, from zombies attacking and everything. But just really, really well done show. So uh, it's, it's, it's hard to watch sometimes. It's so gets to your emotions and everything. But anyway, they just sort of had their mid-season finale. I'm not going to give away anything about the show or spoilers, but if if you like good, uh, a solid drama with with uh, very interesting characters, don't mind some blood and guts and zombie stuff, but that's kind of a side thing in a way. It's really about the people, and you really get to care for them and, and what's going to happen. Uh, you should be really watching this. And there's some real nasty people on there, too as well some some villains especially uh, this one guy that they call the governor which 
oh, he's just a bad guy. So anyway, um, but um, it is a cool show, and I've, I've been reading the comics, and it's interesting how uh, the show sort of is different than the comics enough that you can kind of enjoy both. I was a little worried. I, I'm still a little worried that I, I don't want to learn too much about what's coming because they take pieces of things from the comics and then slip them into the uh, TV show and they kind of mix it around a little bit and shake it up. It's kind of like what they're doing actually with the Star Trek movies by J.J. Abrams and the comics too. Uh, but uh, but The Walking Dead, really, really well done and uh, you guys should be watching it. And I heard they're going to be doing a marathon AMC over, I think it's New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. And showing basically the whole series again, I believe I, I, they just did their mid-season break, hit their mid-season break for season three. Season one was very short. It's only six episodes. Season two was, uh, I think, I don't know, was it 14 or 16, something like that episodes? Is that right for season two? I think both of those seasons are also on Netflix, but they're going to show all that and season three in one big long marathon uh, over a couple of days there, I think. So anyway, if you get AMC, check it out. It's it's well worth watching. Uh, I can't say enough of good thing about good things about that show. It's just really intense and amazing. Something on the internet that you can watch that's a lot of fun if you're a Battlestar Galactica fan, they just ended the 10 mini episodes or 10 web episodes of Battlestar Galactica. You can watch that uh, over machinima.com. Just search uh, Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome. It's a web series, 10 parts that you can find online. I think they're in groups of two parts each, uh, so five, two parts, and they're probably about 15 to 20 minutes for each of the two parts. It pretty much makes a full-long movie that they're going to show on the Sci-Fi Channel in February or early 2013. It's going to be released on DVD and Blu-ray in February. It was good. It was very good. I, I really liked it a lot. It, it basically shows a, a young William Adama. Uh, if you know the newer Battlestar Galactica version, Adama was, of course, the leader and commander of the fleet. And they show him as a young pilot in the early Cylon, the first Cylon War, uh, and, and something, there's a little mission that he has to go on, and something happens, of course, and all that. But it's well done. It's, it's not, a, a, you know, is, is quite a high a production value as, as the BSG series was from a couple of years ago by Ron Moore and everyone. But it's still pretty darn good, and I, and I think they did a solid job, and the acting is good. They got some good people playing the parts. So it's well worth watching, and you can watch it for free online right now. So how do you, you know, doesn't get much better than that. And, and uh, I, I've been watching Fringe, although I haven't watched the most recent episode. I'm going to watch that later today, and that show is winding down. I think the last episodes are going to come on in January. I think we've got a, a one or two more, and then the, the last couple are in January. So... Uh, just lots of good stuff for the geek to see this year, and uh, and and just you know, the Dark Knight came out, the Dark Knight Rises on on, on DVD and Blu-ray just this past week. So uh, really, really a lot of cool stuff to be watching and, and uh, enjoying. And I've been reading a fair number of comics. I'm really looking forward to The Hobbit. Oh, I also a couple two other things, I guess. Uh, the um, there's a trailer for this new movie called Oblivion with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise has got actually a couple of movies. He's got this Jack Reacher, which is kind of an action movie coming out around Christmas, and then he's got this movie Oblivion, which is a sci-fi fantasy-ish. I guess it's more sci-fi than fantasy, but it's, um, it's coming out in April of 2013, and I just finally found, saw the trailer, even though I think technically the trailer is not officially released. You know, they, they got these trailers that slip out, and, and then it's like, you know what, just why don't you release it? I, I don't I don't really think you can overhype a movie, and heck, this movie's coming out in about four or five months, so let the trailer loose guys you know but there was a couple times yesterday where they were popping up and then they were getting taken down by youtube and then popping up again and taken down and all what i've learned over the years is if something like that is going on it, if you see it and you want to save it, it there are add-ons for like firefox and and chrome and things that allow you to save videos uh, off YouTube uh, pretty easily. So I do that, you know, because I, I guarantee you in another two or three days, it will be officially released because once that, once something's been out online and, and on the internet, it's, it's pretty fair game. It's very hard to uh, eliminate it completely. So you might as well now just release it. I'm sure they were pretty close to releasing it anyway. The holidays is a, is a time to have a lot of movie trailers come out. We're going to get a Man of Steel trailer uh, in about a week, the, next weekend, and uh, lots of uh, lot, lots of cool stuff to see. So, but anyway, this trailer looks good. It looks like it's set in the future, sixty years in the future. 
the Earth. A lot of people have been wiped out by this invasion, and uh, Tom Cruise is in it, and there's there's some weirdness going on. It's very hard to tell. They, it, it's it's a classic trailer where they show you some stuff. Morgan Freeman's in it, but they don't really reveal a huge amount of what's going on. Uh, just enough to make make you want to go see the movie. So, all right, I think that's. Uh, the last of what I really wanted to mention, uh, there's, of course, a lot of other things coming in, in next year. Uh, we're going to have a really amazing year, I think, for movies in 2013, so that's going to be cool. All right, one more quick break, uh, and then we will get into the episode of TOS from Season 1 called Operation Annihilate. Hi, this is Robin Curtis, and I played Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek 3 and 4. You're listening to Rico on Treks and Sci-Fi. All right, the episode we're going to be discussing and talking about is from TOS, Operation Annihilate. Operation Annihilate with an exclamation point at the end, uh, which is one of the, one of two Trek episodes with an exclamation point at the end. The other, watch, other one is from Voyager, Bride of Chaotica. Uh, remember that black and white uh, style uh, uh, Voyager episode. To, so there's some good Trek trivia to start us off with. This episode was written by Stephen Carabastas, something like that, Batstas. <laughs> I'm really slaughtering your name, Stephen. Carabatsas, whatever, okay. Directed by Herschel Daughtry, uh, Doherty. Those two names are not familiar to me, so that may, those might have been the only times they worked on Trek. I, I'll have to take a quick look. It was first aired on April 13th, 1967. Again, it's the last episode of season number one. The remastered version was first aired on February 23rd, 2008. Gosh, it's been, you know, four, almost five years since they did the remastered TOS. Basically, the story of this is there's a colony uh, called this uh, on this planet called Deneva, and Kirk and the Enterprise are approaching this. There's been a uh, chain of events of of planets and, and star, star systems going kind of insane for some unknown reason uh, throughout this sector. And the next in line in this little chain of events is the Denova system. One thing when I was watching this again and collecting up clips that I, I, I've thought about a couple times as I watched this episode many times over the years is, you know, why plunk a colony down in the path of, of, uh, of this thing going on? Unless the colony, I guess, was there before this thing started to happen. But if it has to move from system to system over years, it's it, it still, they, it seems like they'd have plenty of time to either not be there or to evacuate. So I thought that that was just, it didn't quite add up for me. But uh, I'm going to play the first clip for you right now, though. Uh, this is early in the episode where uh, the Enterprise is following this Denovan ship as it's approaching. It, it, it leaves the planet and it approaches uh, the sun, the Denovan star uh, at, at the center of the system. And uh, the Enterprise is trying to stop them. Get too close to the sun. Keep closing. Denovan ship. Reverse your course. Do you hear me? Reverse your course. Acknowledge. Outer hull temperature now 480 degrees and rising. It's too close, Captain. So are we. All temperature 1,000 degrees and rising. Sun's gravimetric pull increasing. I get it. It's finally gone. I'm free. I'm... Burned up, Captain. Reverse course 180 degrees above. I see. Clear, Captain. Hull temperature falling. Gravimetric pull approaching tolerance level. Very well. Reduce the subwarp speed. Take us to Deneva. Aye, aye, sir. That Denovan ship headed deliberately into the sun. Why? There's one possibility. The mass insanity may have reached this planet, too. Captain, I'm having difficulty on that transmitter call to Deneva. Keep trying. Yes, sir. Jim, your brother Sam, his family, aren't they stationed on this planet? 
Yeah, so there's uh, this little twist here that uh, Kirk's brother Sam and his family live on Deneva as a, as a research uh, research scientist. He's a biologist, I believe, and they're um, they're just uh, you know one more little added twist. Uh, interesting enough that uh, the original script and story for this episode did not have that uh, in you know that family connection for Kirk to this. Uh, the people that he meets there, uh, they're not related to him. Uh, there's a family that he runs into and and so forth, similar to what you see in the episode, but they don't end up being someone that's related to him, and they added that extra in, which I think was a good idea. It made it a little bit more personal and a little bit more intense for Kirk. In this episode, you get a, you get a little sense of his family, and, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see if, uh, you know, there's been also talk and rumor and in, in thinking that uh, Kirk's brother uh, from the JJ verse will might feature in, in some way in the next film. So we'll see how that if that happens. But anyway, so this guy from Deneva goes into the sun and and he's free of this this creature, this influence or whatever is going on with him. And but of course he's so close to the sun he burns up right after he gets free. Uh, not so good, but he was a little crazy. So they head to Deneva. The outdoor scenes, uh, I think the next clip is after they've uh, taken the first landing party down to the planet or right after uh, they beam down. Uh, the outdoor scenes that they used were shot at, uh, at the time it was TRW in Redondo Beach, California. It is now the Northrop uh, Grumman, Grumman, I can't talk today, For sorry folks. Northrop Grumman Space Technology Headquarters is what that facility is. It kind of looks a little futuristic, has some interesting architecture and things. Uh, I guess you can find it on Google Earth even. Uh, they also, some of the lab stuff that they find when they go inside uh, a building, it was on uh, UCLA's campus. Uh, actually, uh, they also used uh, the cafeteria at TRW as well. So some interesting little uh, tidbits there of of knowledge and if you're out in that area you could I guess go look uh, sometime so here we go with another clip uh, this clip is I think some of the Denovans show up their little nuts and start to try to attack the landing party stand by to fire fire Did you hear what they said, Mr. Spock? Indeed, they seem most concerned for our safety. They tried to brain us with these clubs. Check them out, Bones. Their attitude was inconsistent with their actions. To say the least, there's something wrong, Jim. Their nervous systems. Unconscious like this, there should be just routine autonomic activity. But I'm getting a very high reading, as though even in their unconscious state, they're being violently stimulated. Fan out, follow me. Security. safe now. Is this your brother, Jim? ship, Jim. I can't do much for them down here. Get ready to beam up. 
Go ahead, Enterprise. Prepare to beam a party of four. Captain. I understand how you know. Yes. Yes, Mr. Spock. You heard my sister-in-law say something about they being here. Your guess. Notice the ventilator, Captain. Apparently, they were trying to keep something outside from getting in. Obviously, they were not entirely successful. That doesn't make sense. There are no harmful life forms reported. Our sensors didn't pick up anything that didn't belong here. That is correct. I am at a loss to understand it. Ready to beam up, Captain. I'd like you to be on board when your sister-in-law regains consciousness. Take charge of the landing party, Mr. Spock. I want some answers to all this. So we find Kirk's brother, Sam, he's dead, uh, and uh, Relin and his nephew, Peter, are still alive, and they get him back to the Enterprise and try to help them. They're in a lot of pain. They're a little crazy. You don't really ever see Kirk or anyone talking to Peter, although there is a, an, a film scene that was cut from this episode, actually, that are sometimes you see pictures of in different things online. You'll see this scene of this red-haired Peter, uh, who is Kirk's nephew, sitting in the captain's chair, and Kirk's talking to him. Uh, there's a picture of that uh, on Memory Alpha for this episode and in other places as well. That was a film scene they cut out. Basically, it was at the end of the episode, a scene where Peter talks about uh, wanting to go back down to the planet and, and stay there uh, with some people that they know. Uh, but anyway... Um, this uh, this starts off the whole process of trying to figure out what's going on, what creatures are there, what what's what's doing all this to these people on Deneva, and uh, they pretty quickly find out what it is. There are these creatures. They they're about the size of a of a big pancake, uh, or you know, and they kind of look like a big fried egg. Uh, it it uh, it's a pretty cool looking creature, I think. Anyway, they go to investigate. And uh, then, of course, something happens, and, and Mr. Spock is a little in trouble here. So listen to this. Incredible. Not only should it have been destroyed by our phasers, it does not even register on my tricorder. Captain, it doesn't even look real. It is not life as we know or understand it. Yet it is obviously alive. It exists. And it can bear up under full phaser power. Captain, I suggest we risk taking it aboard. It's too close in here. Maybe a trap. Let's move out. Can you stand? Spock, are you all right? <laughs> so this creature, this big fried egg-looking thing, uh, slaps on Spock's back in that scene, and then uh, they, you know, Kirk's able to yank it off of him, but it's it's already done its damage. It's it's punctured and injected kind of into Spock's body. Uh, sort of a, a piece of itself, I guess you could say, and, and, and eventually there are these little tendrils, McCoy describes it as, all through Spock's body and his system trying to sort of take control of him and and use him in whatever they want uh, and, and kind of do their bidding and it causes a lot of pain for whoever's infected as well. Uh, prop designer Awa Chang, who did a lot of the design of the props, the phasers, tricorders, communicators on the original series. He designed this little uh, parasite creature that you see in the episode here. Uh, it's uh, known as a blastoneuron in the Starfleet medical reference manual book that uh, came out some time ago. So uh, there, again, these, these little things that are, um, that basically want to be parasites and take over the, the people that are there. One thing I was thinking about, too, again with this is that they've never figured this out. They've been on all these other systems and this mass insanity, and these creatures are not all that hidden. I mean, they're kind of hidden, but they're, you know, the landing party finds them pretty darn quickly, and uh, it's it doesn't seem that hard for them to find them and figure it out. And again, that's the I guess it's something that TV has to deal with where 
you know, some expert crew or crack team, NCIS or CSI, you know, they solve something that no one else has ever been able to solve. They solve it in, in, in an hour long episode where no one else has ever been able to get a clue on it, you know, but that's just the way TV is. So we'll just have to live with that. Uh, and so Spock, you know, this is an, one of the episodes, Spock seems to get zapped quite a bit. And, and as you'll find out later in this episode, if you don't know it already, if, you, if you're not familiar with this or haven't seen it in a while, I think one of the reasons they, they, they would always slam Spock and, and, and mess with him is he had this, you know, he's half Vulcan. So that would allow them to pull out something like, oh, well, if it would have been a human, they would all these humans on Deneva died from this. But Spock, he's half Vulcan, so he's got some trick up his sleeve and he can somehow survive this. So anyway, uh, the next clip is Spock in sickbay. I enjoy uh, how Spock deals with this, this creature causing him a lot of pain, and uh, it tries to take control of him, but Spock being the disciplined Vulcan that he is, he's having none of that. Dr. McCoy? Captain? Spock? These restraints will no longer be necessary. No, will your sedatives, Doctor. I'll be able to return to duty. I apologize for my weakness earlier when I tried to take control of the ship. I simply did not understand. What is there to understand, Mr. Spock? I'm a Vulcan, Doctor. Pain is a thing of the mind. The mind can be controlled. You're only half Vulcan. What about the human half of you? It is proving to be an inconvenience, but it is manageable. The creature, with all of its thousands of parts, even now, is pressuring me. It wants this ship, but I am resisting. Can he control it the way he says, Bones? Who knows, Jim? I know the amount of pain the creature can inflict upon him. But whether he can control it hour to hour. I have my own will, Captain. Let me help. I need you, Spock. But we can't take any chances. We'll keep you confined for a while longer. If you can maintain control, we'll see. My nephew. If he regains consciousness, will he go through that? Yes. Help them. I don't care what it takes or costs. You've got to help them. Jim, aren't you forgetting something? There are over a million colonists on that planet down there. Just as much your responsibility. They need your help, too. Yeah, I think he realizes that, Doctor. He realizes those other people need his help. But if you can help one or two, if you can help Spock and Peter, his nephew, then you can help them all. You know, you come up with an answer. So I, I, th I always thought that line was a little funny in that episode. But so we've got this creature now in Spock. He's he's resisting. Uh, I didn't record a clip where he tried to take over the ship. That's mostly like an action thing. He jumps up on the bridge and like four of the guys have to wrestle him to the ground and McCoy hits him with a hypo spray to knock him out. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, having Spock infected is, is in a way a good thing and a bad thing. He, uh, he allows them to, uh, to learn some things that they wouldn't learn if it was just uh, not in someone. And then they start doing some analysis to try to figure out what's going on with the, the creature and try to figure out, you know, how they can kill it. And I think that's what this uh, next clip is about. Doctor. Your medical skill and curiosity are quite admirable, but I assure you I'm all right. You may be controlling the pain, Mr. Spock, but you're far from all right. Unimportant at the moment, Doctor. Please observe. Interesting, gentlemen. 
a one-cell creature resembling more than anything else a huge individual brain cell. Yes, that would answer a lot of questions, wouldn't it? Do you understand what I'm suggesting, Captain? I think so. This may be one cell in a larger organism, an incredibly huge organism, in fact. And although it is not physically connected to the other cells, it is nevertheless part of the whole creature, guided by the whole, drawing its strength from the whole, which probably accounts for its unusual resistance to our phaser weapons. Existing so differently from any living matter or energy as we know it, that it may have come here, planet by planet, from an entirely different galaxy. From a place where our physical laws do not apply, we may therefore find it difficult to destroy, Captain. But not impossible, Mr. Spock. The Denovan that flew into the sun cried out that he was free, that he had won. That's the angle to work on, gentlemen. I want an analysis of all this from medical and life science departments within the hour. Yes, sir. Yeah, so they're trying to figure out how to kill these things, how to how to end them, and uh, eventually they start to obviously they use and put together the fact that the Denovan that flew towards the sun was was free. He was able to to get free of the creature, and you know what properties of the sun would have caused that? You know, radiation, heat. It seems to take them a little while longer than I think it should that they don't come up with the idea that light light could hurt the creature and uh, the next clip i think talks about that a little bit but it's uh it, you know there are definitely creatures in, in even on earth that are sensitive to light sensitive and things so it, the idea that they you know were like wow ah, what else what else has the sun got for well it's it's really hot and uh it's got radiation um that's about it you know gravity uh, mass you know whatever but light and then kirk's playing with this little device in his quarters when they're talking about it, and that's what this next clip is. Something flashes at him, and he goes, Oh, light. Yeah, that'd be a good thing to look at. It occupies space. It has mass, therefore gravity. It converts matter to energy. Jim, we've been through it and through it. Radiation, heat, and one other thing you haven't mentioned. It's bright. It radiates a blinding light if you're close enough. Nothing leaves out about light. Not to us. But down on the surface, the creatures stayed in the shadows for the most part. Suppose that they weren't simply hiding. Suppose they're sensitive to light. Light like in a sun, close up. A possibility. You can't move Denova closer to the sun, Jim. No, but you can move the equivalent of the sun to Denova. Mr. Spock? Yes. In essence, it can be done. A string of satellites around the planet with burning trimagnesite and trivium. Well, I can rig a test cubicle in the bio lab, put our specimen in it, but I don't. Good. Let's get on. I'm not sure why Dr. McCoy seems to be kind of like resistant to this idea or, you know, it's like, oh, well, light doesn't hurt us. Well, it could hurt these things, you know, I mean, like, and, you know, frankly, light does hurt people, you know, sunburn, uh, you know, cancer, skin cancer. I mean, all kinds of, you know, things light, light in, you know, overabundance is definitely bad for people, you know, and it can blind you if it's bright enough, you know, like. Think about people who are doing like welding or, you know, and that kind of thing with really, really high, high intensity light. You know, you got to wear a special filter to to avoid being blinded. And guess what happens when, uh, you know, they uh, they finally come up with a way to to solve this and, and, and a solution for it. And they try the creature first, of course. They stick the creature in this little chamber, flip on all the light, and the creature dies pretty quickly. So then they, you know, go, oh, well, we got to try it out on a person. And who's handy right there? Spock. And before even spending just a couple of minutes, anal you know, in of analysis on the creature and what happened, uh, Spock says, I'll volunteer. And they throw him right in there and he does it. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I know they're in a rush, but that part I thought, you know, especially since what happens after this next clip, uh, they get the analysis from the lab pretty much right after that. And uh, anyway, listen to the clip. Mm. 
Mr. Spock's the best first officer in the fleet. Proceed. within me is gone. I am free of it. And the pain. And I'm also quite blind. An equitable trade, doctor. Thank you. Doctor, the results of the first test on the creature's remains... sensitive to certain sounds which humans cannot hear. These creatures evidently are sensitive to light which we cannot see. You're telling me that Spock need not have been blinded? I didn't need to throw the blinding white light at all, Jim. Spock, I... Doctor, it was my selection as well. It is done. Oh, Bones, what have you done? What have you done to Mr. Spock? He's blind, he's blind. Well, is he really going to stay that way? Ah, of course not, which we'll find out here in a couple minutes. Uh, a couple things about this. Uh, this is the first time you see McCoy's lab in this episode, this lab area and this, and this chamber they set up for the light test and everything, which the chamber thing is used a couple other times, uh, but uh, the lab area is, is new. Uh, the uh, other things, too, about this episode that I really like, uh, and a lot of TOS in general, is the music. You notice a lot of the music in this episode, some some really good stuff. Speaking of TOS music, if you've got a couple hundred dollars to spare right now at the holidays, uh, it, they're, um, they finally released now out the 15-CD set of TOS, all the music from all the seasons, on, on a 15-CD set by La La Land Records. Uh, I've uh, got some posts up on the main uh, site, treksandsci-fi.com, so I just thought I'd mention that. I'm trying to work up my nerve right now to buy it. I really want to, you know, things are a little, uh, you know, the holidays is a little tight to spend a little, you know, extra money, but it's also a limited edition. I think they only made 6,000 sets, which I don't know if that sounds like a lot or a little, but I don't want to miss out on this, so I think I'm going to probably take the plunge and, and put an order in in the next day or two, but that's uh, available, so you notice a lot of cool music in this uh, episode, and then they, uh, they find out uh, that they can kill it with light, and, and of course Spock's blind now, and so the Enterprise lets these satellites out, and then they uh, destroy the creatures on the planet, which is the next audio clip, and I wanted to point out that... Uh, uh, un, in, uh, unlike in the original version of this episode, you uh, you don't see uh, the satellites and that that little part of it. But in the remastered version on the Blu-ray, and that you do get to see uh, the satellites and, and and an extra little bit of footage and effects that they put in, which is kind of cool. So check that out uh, when you get a chance. Uh, the other thing that I was going to say, a couple of the little side things here. This this episode originally in the original story was called Operation Destroy, and uh, they uh, they 
originally in the original script, we're not going to have the creatures killed uh, by light. That wasn't going to do it. What the what they were going to discover and backtrack is the Enterprise was going to go to uh, the home planet of these these brain parasite things, and they were going to destroy and annihilate the central brain. They don't really go into how they were going to do that, whether it was going to be a barrage of weapon fire or whatever, but they were going to destroy the home planet brain, and that therefore all the other creatures as being part of that central brain and, and all a piece of it, kind of like the Borg Collective in a way. But by destroying the brain on the home planet, that was going to destroy the uh, creatures themselves. And uh, James Blish, actually, who wrote a lot of these in sort of small uh, stories in book form, uh, in the Star Trek uh, II novel uh, or, or collection of episodes that he was adapting, uh, James Blish actually had that version of it because he was working from an early draft of the script of them destroying the home planet of the creatures, not by destroying the creatures with light. To me, I like the light angle a lot better. You get the Spock thing going. Plus, you know, they've already said they're very resistant to weapons fire and thing, unless they took that out, um, you know, maybe they, you know, they would have figured out another way, an antimatter explosion or something like that to destroy the home planet. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, the, 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 the fact that uh, this episode went through a few changes like that I always find kind of interesting. So uh, let's get to the next clip, which is them uh, destroying the creatures on the planet. Captain, receiving messages from a ground station. Report. The things are dying, sir. It's working. wasn't your fault. Bones. Bones. Yeah, so the creatures on the planet are destroyed and presumably all the all the infected people are also destroyed. You know, this episode, while I like it, it is pretty good. There are some things I, I feel nitpicky about on it. One is, wouldn't you have had to make sure that all the people on the planet that were infected were out where the light would, would get to them and, and, you know, hit them rather than being inside a building? That would be a little factor, wouldn't it? Uh, Unless, I don't know, the light can go through a window enough that, that would it would work. I suppose eventually you could you could say that everyone could get cleaned, you know, from the creature through some kind of light process. Maybe they have to set up little stations on the planet to, you know, just sometimes I wish they would just throw a couple of lines in like, you know, there were some people that, that the light didn't affect, but we're going to set up these little, you know, little, you know, tanning booths. <laughs> you can go get a tan and get free of this painful creature that's inside you too at the same time. Hey, look good too while 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 destroying these parasites. Hey, what do you want? What do you want? You know, come on, nineteen ninety five a month. Get a get a tanning on Deneva and 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 get a nice creature, uh, you know, out of you. So, but uh, little stuff, not not a big deal, I guess, really, but. Uh, you know, so Peter's an orphan now, you know, he's just got Uncle Kirk around, Uncle, well, I should say Uncle Kirk, Uncle Jim around, uh, and uh, for those who are interested, you know, an older Peter Kirk turns up uh, in the uh, the Star Trek Phase 2 episodes, uh, they've, uh, they've used that character, which I thought was kind of neat. They mention, uh, you never really hear from him, but they mention that uh, his, his brother Sam, who, Sam was his middle name, it's George Samuel Kirk, uh, has an Aurelian, Aurelian, however you say her name. God, they they have some tough names in this episode. They both die, but there supposedly there's a couple other Kirk um, sons around too. They had three kids supposedly, but they don't really make mention of them. Uh, but I'm going to play the last clip from the episode, and then we'll come back and, and wrap up uh, Operation Annihilate. Record this for Starfleet Command. Ready, sir. The alien creatures on Deneva have been destroyed. Captain, look, Mr. Spock. Spock. You can see. 
The blindness was temporary, Jim. There's something about his optical nerves which aren't the same as a human's. An hereditary trait, Captain. The brightness of the Vulcan sun has caused the development of an inner eyelid, which acts as a shield against high-intensity light. Totally instinctive, Doctor. We tend to ignore it, as you ignore your own appendix. Mr. Spark? Regaining eyesight would be an emotional experience for most. You, I presume, felt nothing? Quite the contrary, Captain. I had a very strong reaction. My first sight was the face of Dr. McCoy bending over me. Hmm. Tis a pity brief blindness did not increase your appreciation for beauty, Mr. Spock. A few gentlemen are finished. Would you mind laying in a course for Starbase 10, Mr. Spock? My pleasure, Captain. Unusual eye arrangement. I might have known he'd turn up with something like that. What's that, Uncle? I said, please don't tell Spock that I said he was the best first officer in the fleet. Why, thank you, Dr. McCoy. You've been so concerned about his Vulcan eyes, Doctor. You forgot about his Vulcan ears. Ahead, warp factor one, Mr. Sulu. Warp factor one, sir. Yeah, so that ends this episode, Operation Annihilate, from the last uh, end of Season 1 from TOS. It's, again, a good, solid episode. You get to learn a little bit about Kirk's family and his background. I'm happy that they had that as part of the episode, and I think it added some drama to it as well. It's uh, it's a little unfortunate that uh, you know Kirk's brother is just dead there. You don't even see the guy's face. Well, actually, no, you do. He flips him over. I forgot, uh, and uh, you get to see him. But uh, and then his sister-in-law dies, and Peter's still around. I wish they had kept that clip in there of of him talking to his nephew. I think that would have been a nice little touch for this episode uh, if it would have been included. But you know, you can only do so much with 50 minutes or so at the time when these were released. They had longer times and less commercials. Boy, those were the days, huh? So uh, so that's it, this uh, look at this episode. I think it's, uh, again, a, a fun one and uh, interesting that, uh, you know, covering some TOS now that uh, we're getting closer and getting more info on the J.J. Abrams film. So uh, I'm going to take a uh, one little short break. I'll come back with uh, a, an update for you on what's coming up on the podcast, and we'll wrap up uh, today's show. This is Pocketbook's Star Trek novelist Michael A. Martin warbling in your ear, and you're listening to Rico on Tricks and Sci-Fi. So coming up on the coming weeks for uh, Treks and Sci-Fi as we approach the holidays and towards the end of 2012, uh, next week, uh, this is kind of appropriate in a way, kind of interesting, but M5, Mark, is going to cover a a movie uh, that I've only seen maybe once or twice. It's been a while, Uh, and I think it's from the 70s, if I remember. Anyway, this uh, movie is called Journey to the Far Side of the Sun. Very interesting movie uh, and and well worth a look uh, both to watch and listen to his podcast. That'll be next weekend on the show. In two weeks, I'm going to be doing the vidcast for our Secret Santa celebration and uh, show you all those videos that people send me. So get going on that, guys. And on the 30th, the end of the year, Rick Moyer is going to do another one of his uh, retrospectives on the last year on the, the TOST. T, I almost said two, T-O-S, close, T-S-F, Trex and Sci-Fi Podcast. He'll be covering that on the 30th, just before the new year. So, and I'm sure January, we've got some interesting new things lined up. I've already, I already got some new uh, guest spots kind of in the in the coming year. Uh, we've been talking to about some, you know, some cool things. So look forward to that. And uh, in a couple of weeks, when I talk to you again on the Secret Santa episode, we're going to learn and know a lot more about the the Trek movie, and I'm very excited to uh, to get a little bit more knowledge of that, and and then we've got a good 
you know, about five months to uh, talk about it to before we see the movie in May. So uh, everyone enjoy your next couple of weeks. And as we approach the holidays, I'll be talking to you on the vidcast just before Christmas. So uh, an early happy holidays to everyone. And as we approach that, I thought it would be a good time to uh, play some music here from our buddy Rick Moyer. You know, he's done a, a Trekmas uh, collection. You can see and or see and uh, listen. Listen, most importantly, just go over to his Star Trek Parodies uh, com site and check some of this out. But I think it's time to break out some of the Trekmas music from Rick Moyer, and uh, he does a great job with these as always. So I, I want to play some of this, and uh, so give it a you know listen in your iPod, your iPhone, or whatever device you use. Sit back and enjoy a little Trek-inspired holiday music here on Treks in Sci-Fi. Everyone, take care. I will talk to you and see you in two weeks on the on the vidcast and uh hey don't get crazy out there in the holiday uh time try to enjoy the holiday uh holidays you know rather than just be like uh you know i gotta do all this stuff and bake and cook and clean and and get ready for them uh try to enjoy it a little bit too so this is rico signing off for this week's treks and sci-fi i think it's gonna be a little shorter than normal wow uh incredible i think i i streamlined it a bit and uh I like that, you uh, know, in, in a way. It's nice to do that now and then, rather have a real lengthy podcast. I listen to some podcasts where they just, you know, they're an hour, then they're an hour and a half, then they're two hours, then they're two and a half. I, I you know, it's that's a lot, you know. They just keep getting longer and longer. So I, I, I try to keep it as tight as I can, mostly about an hour and a half, but today we're a little shorter than that. So everyone, enjoy your free extra time from not listening to more of this show. I'll talk to you again soon. Here's Rick Moyer with uh, some Merry Trekmas music. Jean-Luc, the bald head captain, had a very shiny head. And if you ever heard him, Make it so is what he said All of the other captains They used to look up to him Until Wolf 359 When they encountered the Borg fight him Then in one so daring move Riker saved the day Data and Worf take a shuttle craft Get to the cube and get our captain back Then all the crew just loved him As they shouted out with glee Jean-Luc the bald head captain You're the best captain in the galaxy Jean-Luc the bald head captain Had a very shiny head And if you ever heard him Make it so, is what he said. All of the other captains, they used to all look up to him. Until Wolf 359, when they encountered the Borg and fight him. Then in one so daring move, Riker saved the day. What'd he do? What'd he do? Data and Worf take a shuttle craft. Get to the cube and get our captain back Then all the crew just loved him As they shouted out with glee Jean-Luc, the bald head captain You're the best captain in the galaxy Make it so